to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your
Because the world will always be against what God is and will always be what for God is. So let's stand. I'm going to pray us into a time of worship and we're going to sing about that truth. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is with us every moment. You are a present God. You are not a distant God. You are a, gl- a God that is holy and deserves to be glorified in everything that we do. Father God, we pray that you would go forth. Go before us. Go before our, our voices. Go before our, our ears this morning, God. And let us hear your word this morning, God. And we pray that we would surrender everything we have this morning to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christ alone, hope is found. He is 
place of surrender, God, where we can lay everything at your feet, Lord. And as we sing these words, Lord, I pray that we would have full abandonment in all of you. Let's sing out together, so I'll stand.
praises to you this morning, God, because you are our God, and you are the way maker and the promise keeper of our lives, God. And because of that, we can praise you, we can glorify you, and we can lift up your name, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a moment to greet one another. Just say hi to somebody that's right next to you, right behind you, in front of you, and say good morning in the name of Jesus. Just take a moment, a moment or two, that's nice. It's so great to have a good time of fellowship and say welcome, get to encourage each other. Praise the Lord. Thank you. This is also that time when our young ones can... uh, can make their way down the hallway with their teachers to their classrooms, and we're grateful for them. We're so thankful that, uh, that we have that great privilege of pouring in to the next generation. And, uh, you know, the Word of God tells us that one generation will commend your mighty works to the next. And we get to be a part of that, amen? Isn't that great? And we get to do that. And so uh, there's always that opportunity if you're interested and you have. Uh, you know, that desire to help out and see how you can get involved here at Trinity, that uh, there's ways to be able to, to minister to every generation. And our uh, children's ministry is one of them. So thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Keith, and I have the great privilege of being the, the lead pastor and one of the elders here at Trinity Bible Church. Thank you for, for um, taking some time out to come and worship with us this morning, because that's what we've been doing, and that's our our goal and our plan is to worship God here together, and we're going to do that in many ways, and we love to do that through music, and we just did, and um, hopefully you were blessed by that, and we'll do that again a little bit later. And in just a moment, we're going to open God's Word together and continue in our series going through the book of Colossians, which we call Greater Than. But before we do that, just want to get caught up in a few things of what we call church life, right? And uh, so we're all on the same page about things that have been going on and things that are coming up in the future. And you can always find this information and much more on our website, trinityallenwood.com. You can go there and find more information about who we are and what we believe and what we value and uh, the things that, uh, that are coming up and how to get involved. And so 
one of the things that we, uh, we love to talk about here at Trinity is that, um, uh, that we have core values, and those core values are that we get to learn and grow and serve. Uh, learn, grow, and serve, right? That's, that's the importance of how we pursue discipleship, by learning the truth and growing in our faith, and then, of course, by serving, and that starts with serving uh, one another. And, um, and how do we do that? How do we pursue discipleship? Well, part of that is by making sure that we do what John the Baptist said in John 3.30, and it's where we get the, the he must increase and I must decrease, because that's what John the Baptist said uh, to, um, to his disciples. And he said, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is rising in popularity, and that's a good thing, right? Because he, meaning Jesus, must increase, but we must decrease. That's our theme for this year, right? We, we learn and grow and we serve, but we have a theme for every year, and that's our theme this year, taken directly from John 3.30, um, and it's the words of John the Baptist. And we want to take that to heart in everything that we do this year, right? And that he must increase and we must decrease because sometimes don't we feel like we're kind of getting in Jesus way right we try to do our own thing our own way and so it's a big part of who we are and it's kind of been uh, one of our our main focus this year um, I do want to say thank you to uh, to everyone that came out yesterday for our work day just a big thank you to everyone uh, we got a lot of work done yesterday and and hopefully you could see some of that and part of what we did is we Built a fire pit back out on our property is something we've been talking about for a long time, and you'll notice the fire pit in the wood, and so uh, we're grateful that we can do that, and you know that one of our, our local um, church, uh, church friends, Allenwood Church, and Pastor Dave Berkey, who we know really well, um, they have a youth group that we combine with. We partner with them for our youth ministry every other Friday night, and, and they were like saying, hey, we'd love to have a fire pit, and we said, we were thinking about that too, so let's get it done, and so... We're going to get to use that and use the, um, the, the volleyball court and do that even in the evenings. And so uh, Pastor Dave and I were really excited. We were able to get that done yesterday. And so we were already start planning an event, a combined event for November to kind of just have a, an evening where we can get together and, and have our bonfire and maybe some hot apple cider and just a good time of fellowship, right, with some brothers and sisters in the Lord. We've done that in the past, and I think it's time to do that again. We get a big amen for that. Right, being unified, we talked about that this summer, and so we're grateful we can do that, right, and be unified together, and so we look forward to uh, giving you more information about what that's going to look like. Um, and uh, so, we get excited about that. Two more quick things. You noticed on your way in, if you came in through the lobby, there's that big box, and we are still um, collecting some warm winter clothing and some items for our missions trip down to Delaware in January. Every month we have a, an opportunity to outreach, and recently we just went to the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission and helped out there. But in January, we're taking a team down to Delaware to, to work with some people that are struggling with homelessness and uh, extreme poverty. And so we, especially being that it's going to be January, we wanted to be able to collect some items. And so if you have gently used or if you're willing to buy some new items, we need coats and hats and gloves and blankets uh, and new socks. But here's another thing. If you don't have that time or want to do that and you want to be able to donate financially, that's wonderful too because the church will match up to $2,500 uh, in financial donations for that so that before our trip in January, 
we'll go and we'll take that money and we'll go and buy some more of those items so we can just go with uh, our, our, our and just stocked with, um, with goods so we can go and help people that are in need. Because, you know, when we do that, right, we're, we might be um, meeting a very practical and immediate need, which is so important. But at the same time, we do so so that we can um, open lines of communication, get to know people, share our story, just hear other people's stories so that we can then tell the story, right? The story of the gospel. So that's a part of what we do. We tell our story and how Jesus has changed our lives and transformed us, and then we can share that good news with others. And we can do that all while we are helping people in very practical ways, amen? And so we're doing that, so you can continue to donate for that for the next uh, couple of months. And then finally, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, in two weeks from now, November 7th, we will have uh, baptisms. And so um, if, you, um, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have placed your trust in Him for the salvation of your personal sin, the Bible says that we are to be baptized. It's one of the two commandments that Jesus gives to the church. It's communion and it's baptism. And so we see it throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament how new believers were being baptized. And so if you're interested in that, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, then uh, please come and see me. You go to the website, get my information. You can see me after church and uh, I'll tell you all about it. We can get together. If, even if you just have questions, you say, I might be interested, but I don't know what that's like. Do I have to talk in front of everybody? And you know, how, how do we do that? And, and what does that look like here at Trinity? So I would love to tell you all about that. Okay. And so we will have some baptisms in two weeks on the 7th, and that will um, correspond to our uh, monthly fellowship lunch and uh, to communion, of course. It'll be a wonderful day of celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus and, and what a, um, a time it is for the church to be able to witness that, right? And to be able to get together and to support that and to see when people are publicly um, displaying and identifying themselves with Jesus and saying, look, a transformation has happened on the inside and I want to show that on the outside, right? And so that's what we will do in two weeks on the 7th. So if you're interested just let me know, all right? Um, so we're going to open our Bibles and uh, we're going to look at the book of Colossians together. We've been going through this series and it's called Greater Than, uh, simply because in this book, it's a short book, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. It was a city. It's no longer there, but it was located in what is today southern Turkey. And uh, it was a fairly new church. He didn't plant this church, but a man named Epaphras was probably the, the one who planted it. And he was most likely discipled by Paul. So Paul had a special place in his heart for this church. And he was writing to them while he was a prisoner in Rome. But he's writing to them, listen, to commend them of their faith but also to warn them. So he wants to lift them up and encourage them, but he also wants to warn them not to lose sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he writes this great letter, and in this letter, what he's saying is saying that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ 
is like no other. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, what happens is we become vulnerable and susceptible to believing any and any other truth that's out there, especially when it's mixed with a little bit of a lie. So Paul takes this occasion to write a very personal letter. We've all written letters before, right? We don't do that as much these days. Maybe we send emails, we send texts, right? We've kind of shortened that idea of writing letters. But Paul writes a letter to these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord to commend them in their faith, but also to warn them. To warn them and say, don't be deceived by any other worldly philosophies or false religions because what we have in Jesus is the real deal. And we can be full in Jesus Christ because the fullness of the Father is in Him. See, they were starting to drift away from the, the true understanding of who Jesus is, that He is God Himself. And there was a false belief. There was a false doctrine that was starting to take hold in the church. And it, it is what became known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And it was this idea that some people had that there was some kind of mysterious, special knowledge, apart from God, that people could attain, but only a few select people. And see, this knowledge made them greater and more wise right? and, and, and more powerful in a way than any other person. And so Paul is saying, look, the mystery that was has now been revealed, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And because the fullness of God the Father is in him, we can be full ourselves. But see, it was a mystery. It was a mystery that Paul said is now revealed to them, and don't forget it, don't take your eyes off of him. But look, don't we all love a great mystery? I mean, we can kind of understand, in a way, how people were maybe getting caught up in this new teaching. You know, it's kind of like searching for a hidden treasure. There's something mysterious about it, something unknown, but yet it's something that we believe we can reach out and grasp, you know? It's like, it's like that old wise saying from the New Jersey lottery, you got to be in it to win it, all right? We're going to take confessions now. How many of you played the lottery this week? And how many of you actually won? That's okay. We have the offering box back there. So if you won, you can drop it in. But you know, I remember when I was nine years old, I won't tell you what year it was, but when I was nine years old, boy, I became fascinated with this idea of finding a hidden treasure. So there was this show that was on TV back in this day, and it was called In Search Of. Any of a, anybody that's over 50 kind of remember that? And it was narrated by the great Leonard Nimoy. Remember Spock from Star Trek? And, and it was great. It was kind of like a precursor to the you know, unsolved mysteries and that kind of stuff. And, and those kind of shows are still very popular today in many different forms. But this is one of those earlier shows. And my favorite uh, mystery that they were trying to solve was the, the mystery of Oak Island. And it's this small forested island off the coast of Nova Scotia, up north from here. And there was supposedly a hidden treasure. Now this goes back more than 200 years. 
It was in the late 1700s that a teenager, like a young person that was about my age when I, when I was watching this and just becoming fascinated, that, that there was a young teenager who rowed his boat from the mainland over to this island, and he found this mysterious sort of indentation in the ground. You see how it was captivating me as a young person? And he thought, I don't, there's something different here. So he gets his friend to come over the next night, and under the cover of darkness with their lanterns, they start to dig. See, there had been rumors even before that, that there was possibly hidden treasure on this island by none other than Captain Kidd, the infamous pirate. So now it's getting even better, isn't it? This is pirate treasure, see? And so what's happening is these, these kids are starting to dig and search for a hidden treasure. And they keep digging. And they keep digging. And if you know the story, it's still going on today more than 200 years later, and there's a very popular show called The Curse of Oak Island. It's that original story. But I was just fascinated by it. But they have yet to find that treasure. Do you see? They have yet to find that treasure. And it's been over 200 years. And they kept digging, and what happened was it became known as the money pit. Because they would find, at level after level, there would be a trap. There would be something that would deter them. It would kind of enthrall them even more, but then it would deter them because they wouldn't be able to get any deeper. And so today, people are still searching for that treasure. But even more recently, in 2010, a very eccentric millionaire named Forrest Fenn, maybe you've heard this story, he wrote a book, and in the book he gave some clues, and he wrote a, a poem and he said that he had buried an actual treasure chest full of gold and precious jewels somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And it started to gain traction, this story, and the internet sort of blew up with it. And all of a sudden, this was in 2010, thousands upon thousands of people started searching for this treasure. They were combing, listen, they were combing this book he wrote for the clues because he said in the book there would be clues to how to find this hidden treasure so thousands of people started looking for this treasure they'd go on weekends and many others quit their jobs sold their homes to raise money spending thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to find this priceless treasure in those 10 years five people lost their lives searching for this treasure. Last June, June of 2020, somebody found the hidden treasure. And then finally, he was willing to, to divulge his identity. And three months later, that eccentric millionaire who buried that treasure died. And it was quite interesting, sort of the, the take on all of this. But if you think about it, what is it, church, that that enthralls us about a hidden treasure? What is it about something like that that can really capture the imagination of a child or an adult? That there may be some kind of treasure that's hidden, it's just out there, but we can't quite grasp it because people will spend their lives 
looking for something, striving after something that they just believe is right out there, but they cannot grasp. It's the way many people look at God, isn't it? That God is somebody, there's something that's out there and they can't quite understand it and they'll never get it, but they find they spend their lives searching. It is the search for truth. There was another very famous show that I loved and there was a tagline that said, the truth is out there. But remember what show that was? Nobody wants to admit it. You all know what it was. I think it was the X-Files, wasn't it? The truth is out there. You're like, yeah, yeah, I used to watch that. I know. And so here's the thing. There the truth is out there, church, but people spend their lives searching for it, don't they? But it's almost like it's a hidden treasure and they can't quite grasp it or find it. So Paul writes this letter uh, we call Colossians to the Christians there and say, you know what? You have already found the treasure. It was once hidden, and our ancestors, the people in the Old Testament, they knew that one day there'd be a Redeemer. They didn't know his name, exactly what he would look like, but there was all kinds of prophecies that foretold of his coming and things he would say and do. And now Paul says, it was once a mystery, but it has now been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. And the full mystery, all the treasure... The fullness of that treasure, that beautiful treasure chest that is completely priceless has been revealed to you. Don't take your eyes off of it. Why? Because in this world, there will be all kinds of other philosophies and religions and ideas about how to live life and how uh, life is created and how this world works and how we interact with each other. They might sound true. They might sound biblical. They might sound like Jesus probably said it. But if it didn't come from him, and if it's not about him and focused on him, that it's not the true truth, see? Because all truth is God's truth, if you think about it. So it's that search, that endless search for truth. But church, we know the truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ. We have the truth. And God's plan for the church is that we would be the ambassadors of that truth, the keepers of that truth, but we don't keep it to ourselves. We gather here on a Sunday morning to celebrate, to worship, to be encouraged, to be challenged, and then we go out back into the world, as we say, and we take that truth with us, the truth of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because it's no longer hidden. See? And we are not to keep it hidden. Jesus says we're the salt and the light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and we don't hide that light under a bushel. We are go. We are to go out into the world and shine that light, to be a city on a hill, because we have found that treasure. We have found that treasure, and we are, go, we are to go and take that wonderful truth to all the other people that are still searching. Well, I'm going to read this passage for us this morning. It's, it's from Colossians. We're still in chapter 2. And it's just these verses. It's chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And look at what Paul says. With all that as a background and as our context this morning, look at what the Apostle Paul says. Again, he's writing to this church. He's encouraging, but he's warning. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And that's our passage for this morning. Hopefully you you can catch a glimpse of what it is that the Apostle Paul is trying to say. Remember, like he hadn't, as far as we know, he hadn't met these Christians, these brothers and sisters, but he knew Epaphras who, who planted this church and he led him to the Lord and discipled him and he knows that this church knows who truly fulfills all desire for meaning and purpose. See, what is it about a hidden treasure that really draws people in? Yes, maybe it's fame and fortune. Maybe it's a a, a get-rich-quick mentality. But I think it goes deeper than that, don't you? I think there is this, Paul calls it an elemental spirit of the world. There is this desire for meaning. God says in his word that he has placed eternity in our hearts. So every person living, every person that you see walking uh, with you and walking amongst you throughout the week, they all have eternity written in their hearts, meaning they know there is something bigger. That search for that hidden treasure, for that truth, is a search for meaning. It's a search for purpose. It's a search for understanding that we must be part of something bigger than ourselves. There must be some kind of beginning and how is this all going to end? And Paul is saying it's all wrapped up in the fullness of Jesus Christ. And let's not take our eyes off of him. Because there will be the temptation from other paths, other philosophies, other religions that will be presented to them and to us today to find meaning in life, to find meaning elsewhere other than God. Or worse yet, there will be ideas and philosophies that will mix a little bit of godly truth with things that are unrighteous and ungodly, and those can be more difficult to discern, all right? So that's why we keep our eyes trained on Jesus. So what I want to do is just uh, look at uh, four different things from this passage, just briefly. And then we're going to close with a time of worship. All right. So the first one is this. There is truth. And there is truth. So we look at this passage, and you'll see I've underlined, it'll be up on the screen for you, you'll, uh, I've underlined the, um, the first verse in this passage. Look at that. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, so you have received Christ Jesus. He's saying you have that treasure. It has been revealed to you. You have found it. And celebrate that. But he says, now walk in it. Don't just stay where you are because you're going to be in danger of not growing and of not having that maturity and that discernment to know when things that are not true come your way and present themselves to you. So first he's saying, 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. He's saying, you know the truth, church. Friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, he's saying, you know the truth. You've received it. You have it in Jesus Christ. Now, what are you going to do with it? He says, walk. Walk in him. I mean, this is a word we use a lot uh, um, um, in our circles, in Christian circles, right? We say, how's your walk with the Lord? Or I'm walking with Jesus. Am I walking with Jesus today? Why do we use that word? Why don't we say, I'm jogging with Jesus today? Or, or maybe you go out and jog and you listen to your devotional. I'm running with Jesus today. I'm sprinting with Jesus today. Sometimes we might feel like that, right? Because life's moving so fast. But you know, um, we say walk. Why? Because it's this beautiful picture, and, and we see it in Scripture, walking with Jesus, as if Jesus is right there with us. And we get up in the morning, and he's there, and we're, we're walking through our day. We're moving forward when we walk, and he is right there with us. And you know when you walk with somebody, you're in step with them, right? Don't we want to be in step with Jesus? And we want to go where Jesus is leading, don't we? You remember the, the great comforting verses when, when, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weir who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You remember that? And he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember what that yoke is? That yoke is that big piece of wood that would join two oxen together, that would move the or the plow forward into the field from a farmer. And that, that big piece of wood that would be put on the, the necks and the backs of the oxen and tied together would keep the two oxen moving forward so they would share the load and the weight of the work. And Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you. He's saying, come and join me. I'm on this side, you get on this side, and it's going to be my yoke. I'm going to take all of the weight. I'm going to take all the work and all, all the pressure. I'm going to do it for you. Just walk in line with me. Walk in step with me. And so Paul says, you've received Jesus. Now walk in him. And walk and keep moving forward. Sometimes we get up in the morning and we feel like we're already moving backwards, don't we? <laughs> we're already moving backwards. We haven't even started our day. But Paul says, walk with him. Walk with him. But look what it says next, number two. He not only says that, but he says, be rooted. So we're going to walk. So what does it look like, church? We talk a lot about discipleship, don't we? We learn, we grow, and we serve our core values, how we pursue discipleship. Discipleship is following. It's walking with Jesus. It's learning to be more like him. So Paul says, this is how you walk with him. Be rooted in him and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. Look at some of those words there. Rooted. He says, be rooted in him. So yesterday, as part of our work day, um, I got to help uh, Brother Bruce, one of our, our elders here, and uh, help him plant a couple of trees out there. When you leave, you'll see them. And He was teaching me about that. That's what he knows about. That's what he does best. That's his, his livelihood, his business, his training, his experience and expertise, and he's teaching me about planting the trees right and so we're digging a hole put the tree in it you've all done stuff like this so the roots right can take hold so the roots that are there in that ball with the dirt can then dig deep and sink deep into the ground eventually and become rooted in that place right? 
So Paul says be rooted. Rooted in that truth. Rooted in Jesus Christ. So that you can stay firm. But we didn't just dig a hole and just leave the tree there. We also set up a couple of stakes. One on each side. We hammered those stakes into the ground. And, and then we tied. We tied this ribbon, this rope, between the stakes and the tree. Why? Not too tight. But we tied it so that as a wind would come along, it wouldn't knock over and blow over this young tree that was just recently planted because the roots haven't take, taken full uh, effect yet. You see? So there needed to be something that comes alongside of it. And Paul is saying, you need each other in this. Walk together. We can be like those stakes for each other, especially for those that are young in the faith, that are new believers in Jesus Christ, wanting to walk with Him. How do I do this? Sometimes we need that, don't we? We need those stakes. Do you see what I'm getting at? So that we can be tied to it. Remember, remember when Jesus said to the disciples, He says, I'm the vine, right? You're the branches. It's like that. We're tied to Him, connected. There is no life source for the branches if you're not connected to the vine because what happens is when you try to do it on your own any philosophy any religion anything that even sounds a little true a little biblical can come along and if you are not rooted in Christ Paul is saying you can very easily be knocked over with just the, the slightest wind so he says be rooted and built up in him then he uses that word established just like rooted. Do you see what he's saying? Rooted, established in the faith. The faith in who Jesus Christ truly is, just as you were taught. Now let's pause there for a second. Some of us, you've been wa we've been walking with Jesus a long time. It's easy to find ourselves veering off of the path, isn't it? That we have to remember where we came from. Paul's saying, remember the truth that you're rooted and established in that you were taught what was it that led you to salvation somebody you read it or somebody was gracious enough to share with you the treasure they had already found that mystery that you were searching for and it's called the gospel it is the truth that jesus is who he says he is he did what he said he was going to do he died and rose again to defeat death and to offer to each of us the free gift of salvation. Why is it free and why is it a gift? Because he paid the price that we were supposed to pay. And so all we have to do, like we do with any gift, is we reach out and we receive it. We accept it. And that's called believing. That's faith. That's trust. And he says, don't forget that. Because that's what you were taught. So remain rooted and established in that. And then he says, you will abound in thanksgiving. I was reminded this morning that, you know, if you're thankful, then you can't be anxious. You can't really be thankful and anxious at the same time. We can be anxious and then remember to be thankful. But think about it. It's hard to be truly thankful and anxious at the same time. You see, we are to be thankful for all that we have. I remember as a young Christian, I would have... Um, the first um, the person, the first pastor that discipled me taught me the hymns. I didn't grow up in the church learning the hymns, and so he would teach me the hymns, and, and I would learn them, and there was one, and it, it, it always stuck with me, count your blessings. Remember that one? Count your blessings, name them one by one, right? The idea of like, we have to be thankful. It's what the song was about. We like to sing 
Songs that remind us to be thankful. Because when we're staying rooted in Christ, and we're walking with Him, it will lead us to be thankful. So church, I ask you this question. If you find yourself, if you find yourself having difficulty being thankful for where you are in life, for what you have, perhaps you've lost sight of what you were first originally taught and that hidden treasure. Maybe you found that treasure and then just like in true human sinful form, we say, that's wonderful, I found it. Now I want a new treasure, right? It's like the kid at Christmas gets the best Christmas gift after ever and 10 minutes later, where's my other gifts, right? We want something else and Paul's saying, Walk in him and be thankful. It will lead to being thankful. For what's next, though? What does it say in verse 8? And this is key. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Church, this is the verse. It's a great one to memorize. Great one to memorize. Colossians 2.8. This is the verse that really captured my heart and my attention months ago that led me to say, I want to preach through the book of Colossians. It was this one. Because I think it's timely now more than ever. The Bible is always relevant, but I just feel like it's got a greater significance now. Because what is Paul saying? Now he's kind of getting a little bit deeper. And actually next week, we're going to look at some specific philosophies and false religions that are swirling about us that always have been, and some new ones. And we're going to look at some specific ones that we need to be aware of. Because that's what Paul was doing in the letter. He was addressing a specific one, Gnosticism. Next week we're going to look at some of our time. But what does he say in verse 8? He says, see to it. First of all, what does that mean? See to it? He's like, you have a job to do. We have a responsibility. So see to it. Be intentional, church. You follow me? Be intentional about this. You have to be growing. You have to be aware. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Other versions might say it differently. Cheats you. One of the versions says cheat. That no one cheats you out of your first love or out of that treasure. Make sure no one steals that treasure you have found. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, stop there. It doesn't mean all philosophy is bad. We're talking about ungodly, unrighteous, unbiblical philosophies. Or philosophy is basically like another word for a wisdom or a search for truth. See to it that you don't search for any other truth because you have the truth. Don't be deceived or cheated or misled by philosophy and empty deceit think about that word empty for a second we're going to come back to it according to what and he gives some parameters according to human tradition right because it's made up by people and it's not of god to the elemental spirits of the world it kind of means the basic ideas of any kind of worldly philosophy or religion and not according to Christ. He's saying those two things, those things, they're not according to Jesus. So don't be fooled by it. Because why? He says they are empty. Let's talk about that word for a minute. We all know what it's like after we eat a great meal. We're full, right? And right before that, we kind of feel a little empty. We get this idea. We understand what it means to feel empty and then feel full or satisfied. 
And many of you are saying, Pastor Keith, let's get to the conclusion because I'm feeling kind of empty and I want to go to lunch so I can feel full, right? But we understand that. What does it mean to, to, to be empty and then full? Because look, if you think about it, every one of us can feel empty and beyond just food, but in more uh, important matters in life, whether it's lacking of relationship, lacking love from people you're seeking it from, maybe it's you're lacking uh, fulfillment in, in your career, your purpose in life. We know what it means to be empty. But we know what it means to be full. But here's the thing. We can fill our time, our minds, our lives with all kinds of things that will just be empty. It's like, you go to McDonald's, you can feel full. They're going to be what we say, empty calories, right? And so we know what it's like to be empty, to be full. But church, what are you filling yourself with? Paul says, don't fill your time, your heart, your mind with empty, vain philosophies that the world has to offer because you have the true richness of Christ and He is the only one that can fill. Why? Because He is the fullness. We'll get to that in a second. We don't need anything else. We can be full in Christ. Christ fills us. He says elsewhere, Paul does, we are complete in him you know from last week from our passage it's actually the beginning of chapter two the end of chapter one paul says his whole ministry philosophy the whole reason that paul exists he says is to go and make christians complete meaning by reminding them of the truth and teaching them so he says, yes, you are complete in Christ, and to grow up in Christ and to mature in him, to be complete, right? So he says to seek the truth and to beware, and then he says, make sure that you're not filling yourselves with things that are just going to make you empty once again. It's like that money pit on Oak Island, every time you, you got a little bit deeper, it would fill with water, and they would go a little deeper. It would fill with water. It kept being an empty money pit, never finding the treasure that they were working so hard for, right? Are we growing healthy in our relationship with Jesus, or are we feeding our minds and our hearts with just empty calories? Because the Bible, it's not fast food. Do you? Do we approach the Bible as we do with fast food? We just kind of take it real quick, it satisfies and we move on? Or are we treating it like that banquet of rich, fulfilling food like we long for on Thanksgiving, right? Because that's what the Word of God is for us. It's rich and it's healthy. It's a banquet. And that's how we should approach it. But then finally, we see in... Uh, Verse 9 and 10, look at what it says. It says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. See, he's now kind of wrapping up this thought. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What is Paul saying? He's hitting home again. Paul's got a great way, if you ever read his other writings, which we should, he has a great way of saying the same thing over and over, but in different, but effective ways. So he's saying it again. He's saying, 
He's basically saying to them in this letter, boy, I've heard you guys are so faithful, but you're starting to be led astray by this other Gnosticism. They're saying it's a mystery. He's like, no. Why would you want anything else when you have everything that you could ever want or need in Jesus Christ? Because in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells. See, that was, that was the false doctrine. That was the heresy. That Jesus wasn't enough. And they were starting to believe it. They're saying, well, maybe He's not truly God. Maybe God didn't come down in the form of human flesh maybe jesus isn't quite that he's a good teacher and got a lot to say and he's very spiritual and mystical and all this but they were starting to to doubt maybe he isn't the true son of god and paul is saying no all the fullness of the father is found in jesus didn't jesus himself not say if you have seen me you have seen the father and paul is reiterating it here The whole fullness of deity, meaning Jesus being God, dwells bodily, dwells in Jesus Christ. Dwell is a word for permanent residence. Permanent residence. And you have been filled in Him. Not only is, track with me here, not only is the fullness of God the Father, God the Father in Jesus Christ, but then He says, and you have been filled in Him. So when we receive that beautiful treasure that we have found in Christ, we are full in Him now. We have the truth, the true truth. It is all that we need. He is all we need because He is the head of all rule and authority. So very simply stated, how can you get better than Jesus? Because if all the fullness of the Father is in Him and we're filled in Him and He is the head, there's nothing above Him, of all rule, how much rule? All rule. And all authority, how much authority? All authority. If all that is found in Jesus, then let me ask you, why would you look anywhere else? Why would you look to be filled in those empty places in life with anything else? Even if it's a relationship, or it's money, or it's, it's a purpose in your, in your job, or whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Those thousands of people that went searching for that hidden treasure in the Rocky Mountains. They might have had good intentions. But think, what was it? What could it be that would drive somebody to sell their home, break off relationships, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in countless hours, ten years until it was found, just to find a treasure chest full of gold coins and jewels? Something perhaps was missing. It was truly a search, not just for that actual treasure, but it was for those people a search for meaning and purpose and validation. But see, Paul says all of that is found in Jesus. And he says you already have him. You don't have to keep searching. So keep your eyes on him. Walk in him. Stay rooted in him. Stay established in him and your faith in him. And see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies or empty deceit. It's not only just deceit, it's empty deceit. Why is it empty? Because the fullness of truth is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So we're going to end in that last couple of minutes. I want to read to you two other passages. And then we'll close by singing a song together the words of which will remind us 
about what Jesus calls us to do. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Just the first three verses of Isaiah 55. Read this, listen to this in the context of what Paul was saying. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Those are God's words to us this morning. Why would we search? Why would we long for bread that does not fill. He says, incline to me. Draw closer to him. Draw closer to the Lord Jesus. And he says, your soul may live. One other passage. This one's a bit longer from Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this. Again, listen to, listen to his heart in this. Listen to his heart in this. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. Can you catch the wind? <laughs> For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I said of my laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem." I also gathered from myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Would you stand with me? I want to read this last verse for you. From Galatians 2.20. Does this describe us today, church? 
This is also the Apostle Paul. He says to us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Does that describe us? That the life we live today, is it our life? Is it us striving after the wind? Or is it a life that is full in Jesus Christ? As Paul says, literally, it's not even me who's living this life anymore. It is Jesus Christ in me. Can we say amen to that? Let's sing this song together, church, and worship him. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ.
more time. Sing it out. like to invite up Ken and Bruce and Claudia Wittell, please. <laughs> Thank you all for, uh, for joining us today. Um, this day is a special day for us at our church. It's a Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And uh, we are so thankful for this couple and for what they mean to us, for how they've served us six plus years now, right, I think. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. Um, first of all, we want to thank you personally, Pastor Keith, for all that you have done for us. You are a faithful servant. It's obvious, you know, through the preaching of your word that you love the word, you want to share it with us. I know you love God first, I know you love the word, and you love this congregation. And so we're very thankful for that. For Claudia, she needs a support network. You are a fantastic wife, and so thankful that you're there by his side. <laughs> so um, just real quick, I'm, I was just thinking as I was sitting back there, as I look out here, I see uh, a couple of things. One, I see a lot of people who have been blessed by him over the years. Uh, there are many people in this church who he's reached out to, loved, supported, and cared for. And so we're thankful for that. I see a lot of new faces today. So it's been a, a blessing. I just met Michelle and Chris. I remembered your names, right? <laughs> I just met them before the service. But anyways, there's, there's a lot of new faces in the church. I see you. And we're so thankful that you're here. We hope that you can continue to come and worship with us and enjoy us and get to know Pastor Keith and Claudia and, and the rest of their family, too. Uh, we have a couple special gifts for you today. So let us start with that. Um, let me give you... Actually, yeah, why don't... <laughs> this, is for past, this is for Claudia. <laughs> this is a special gift for you, Claudia. We also have an individual gift for Pastor Keith. This is a special portfolio. 
that you can use for your sermon, prep, sermon preparation and, and everything up here. And it's inscribed with one of your favorite verses from Psalms. So just wanted to make sure that you had that. You notice how big it is. I could fit a lot of words in here. <laughs> That's right. Wait, you still got the 30-minute rule. It's <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> no problem. We have a special gift for the both of you together. We want you to get away for a weekend. So we have a gift, you know, several gift cards in this. This is a gift on behalf of the church, thanking you for all that you've done. And again, for the opportunity, we know you need time away together. And so please take that and make it special. And then last, um, we have cards from the congregation. People that have uh, expressed their thoughts and appreciation for you through, through this. If there's anybody out here that has not given their card yet, you're welcome to come up with Pastor Keith after the service is over and do that. If you didn't have an opportunity to get one, uh, please feel free to bring it next week. You can certainly present them with that as well. So, but really, thank you everyone for, for supporting him. Give him words of encouragement and strength because it's not always easy being a pastor. But he, we want him to feel loved and appreciated, and so we thank you for that. Thank you All right. Thank you, everybody. God's blessings to you both. That's it.